Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in sultry Savannah, Georgia, this is Obscure Season 4 in American Tragedy. I'm your host, your friend, your ear lover, your literary mansplainer-in-chief and Georgianologist Michael Ian Black, international man of misery, coming at ya today. It's the 13th episode and... I mean, that number just has so much resonance for me right now, because what do we think of when we think of 13? We think of Taylor Swift, because that's her lucky number. And then she's dating the the quarterback for the, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. And I guess I'm supposed to care about that. And then also, Dane Cook, who's 53, 54, married his girlfriend, who's like 23 or something, if that. And uh, people are upset about it, you know. Oh, the age difference is so terrible, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you and I, we think to ourselves, well, that's just not, that's not a healthy relationship. That's not going to work out in the long run. But on the other hand, and of course, we know Taylor Swift's uh, history with men. That's not going to work out either. But my feeling is, and it's not really my feeling, I'm, I'm sort of stealing this from my dear friend, Karen Kennedy, also known as Carrie Kenny Silver, who uh, we were doing the state show the other uh, week in Denver. And I don't know, somebody said something about somebody in some sort of relationship. And she said something like, good for them. Because it was some sort of inappropriate relationship, you know, in terms of like age difference, or I don't know what it was, but you know, something like that. And she said, good for them. And uh, she said, you know what, I've gotten to the age and the point of my life where I'm like, hey, are you happy? Is this person happy? You know, is anybody getting hurt? No? Fine. Fuck it. Good for them. That's how I feel too now. I realized that's how I feel. As soon as she said it, it's like, yeah, what do I, what the fuck do I care about somebody else's relationship? Are they happy? Are they having a good time? Is anybody getting hurt? Fuck it. 
Let him be happy. I don't give a shit about Dane Cook and his child bride. I don't care about Taylor Swift and her quarterback boyfriend. Are they happy? Good. That's all I care about. I just want happiness, you know? For me and for you, listeners. For me as well as yourselves. Can't we all just be happy? The world is hard enough. You know, I don't know if you know, uh, I don't know that I've talked about this much at, at all here on this podcast, but you know I'm into UFOs, obviously. I talk about that all the time. But uh, another thing that I'm into is near-death experiences. And uh, the two are related, but uh, it's not worth getting into why they're related, but they're related. And, uh, you know, near-death experiences, if you're unfamiliar, are the, the is what happens when you die and then you come back. And some people remember very involved uh, adventures that they go on, you know, sort of metaphysical adventures, sometimes involving Jesus or Buddha or long lost relatives or angels or creatures of light or what have you. And now that I've described near death experiences and of course the life review and the tunnel of light. And as soon as I have described it for you, I can't remember why I brought it up. We're talking about relationships And we're talking about, oh, you don't know this about me. You know I'm into UFOs. You don't know I'm into NDEs. It had something to do with, oh, yeah, because life is hard, you know. And one of the running themes in the NDE literature, people who talk about it and who are into this stuff, they say that, first of all, we reincarnate. I mean, that's a given. But also they say that uh, we choose our lives before we're born. We sort of map them out, you know, like we're, we're going on an adventure and we... We say, okay, I'm going to do this, and you're going to do that, and we're going to do this, and we're going to have like a whole nice time here on Earth, and or maybe not a nice time, because the, here's the point that I was getting at originally, is that they say that uh, Earth, this planet, this plane, this dimension that we find ourselves in, is uh, is meant to challenge and meant to be painful, so that the soul can expand and learn lessons and grow and, you know, make something out of yourself. Because according to the the literature, you know, we all come from source, which is the kind of great consciousness, the universal consciousness. And uh, and then, you know, source kind of snips off little pieces of itself. Well, it snips off because you're still connected, but it says, all right, you know, you I'm going to take 8 billion pieces of myself and I'm going to send them down to earth, you know, and they're going to have adventures and they're going to be souls and they're going to they're going to learn stuff and they're going to bring it back to me. And then you know, and and then we'll all sort of learn together. But all meaning is all, all is just one. All is one. One is all. You know, I don't know if you know, I don't know either. But the point is, the larger point, the, the real point is uh, Taylor Swift is screwing the quarterback for the Chiefs and Dane Cook and his new wife, they're screwing. And another person screwing is Clyde Griffiths, who just popped his cherry at a bordello in Kansas City. That was probably a, a life-altering experience for him. You know, he was all nervous about it, and then uh, he let this uh, he let this good-time gal lead him up the back stairs there, and they closed the door behind them, and that's where we left it last time. And, uh, you know, it's all part of the human experience. I'm excited for Clyde. I'm curious to see how this uh, experience has changed him, if it's changed him, if he feels himself to be a little bit more a man of the world now, or... Or what? And I guess there's no way to find out unless we start reading the darn book. So he's just gone upstairs. Let's pick it up here. Chapter 11, An American Tragedy.
The last thing we read was, Before a tall mirror which revealed her fully to himself and him, she began to disrobe. Well, that's exciting. Are we not titillated? I believe we are. I know. I doubt Clyde's even seen a boob before. Probably, you know, probably not since he was a babe suckling on his mother's bosom. Probably not since then. And he probably doesn't remember that. So this is, this is all new to him. Chapter 11. The effect of this adventure on Clyde was such as might have been expected in connection with one so new and strange to such a world as this. In spite of all that deep and urgent curiosity and desire that had eventually led him to that place and caused him to yield still because of the moral precepts with which he had so long been familiar, and also because of the nervous aesthetic inhibitions which were characteristic of him, he could not but look back upon all this as decidedly degrading and sinful. Oh, dear Clyde, you poor fella. Here you were. You, you know, the lady took off her knickers for you, and you had a little tumble in the hay, and then you left. You know, you gave her your your money, and, and now you're feeling degraded and full of sin. And all I can say is give yourself a break, kid. You know? So starved as you were for the female touch that, uh, you know, when presented with an opportunity, you took it. Nobody's going to think too badly on you for it. I mean, it's just a natural human impulse. To diddle. Everybody likes to diddle every now and again, you know. His parents were probably right when they preached that this was all low and shameful. And yet, this whole adventure in the world in which it was laid, once it was all over, was lit with a kind of gross pagan beauty or vulgar charm for him. And until other and more interesting things had partially effaced it, he could not help thinking back upon it with considerable interest and pleasure even. Well, good. You deserve it. Well, what is the cost? In addition, he kept telling himself that now, having as much money as he was making, he could go and do about as he pleased. He need not go there anymore if he did not want to, but he could go to other places that might not be as low, maybe, more refined. He wouldn't want to go with the crowd like that again. He would rather just have one girl somewhere, if he could find her. A girl such as those with whom he had seen Sieberling and Doyle associate. And so, despite all of his troublesome thoughts of the night before, he was thus won quickly over to this new source of pleasure, if not its primary setting. He must find a free pagan girl of his own somewhere, if he could, like Doyle, and spend his money on her. And he could scarcely wait until opportunity should provide him with the means of gratifying himself in this way. Well, you know, Clyde, if you're interested, there's a free way to gratify yourself. Don't, doesn't cost a, a, a dime. But I'm not going to get into that right here and right now. The fact of the matter is, he's been for a tumble in the hay. He's felt badly about it. And yet, when he thinks back on it, it is with interest and pleasure even. And of course it is, as it should be. You know, and I feel, I feel kind of bad about it, honestly. I feel kind of bad for encouraging this behavior. But why? 
why not be sex positive, you know? If I can be sex positive about uh, Taylor Swift and her new beau and Dane and his new wife, then why can't I be sex positive for Clyde and his hooers? But more interesting and more to his purpose at the time was the fact that both Hegland and Ratterer, in spite of, or possibly because of, a secret sense of superiority which they detected in Clyde, were inclined to look upon him with no little interest and to court him and to include him among all their thoughts of affairs and pleasures. Indeed, shortly after his first venture, Ratterer invited him to come to his home, where, as Clyde most quickly came to see, was a life very different from his own. At the Griffiths, all was so solemn and reserved, the still moods of those who feel the pressure of dogma and conviction. In Ratterer's home, the reverse of this was nearly true. The mother and sister with whom he lived, while not without some moral, although no particular religious convictions, were inclined to view life with a great deal of generosity, or, as a moralist would have seen it, laxity. There had never been any keen moral or characterful direction there at all. And so it was that Ratterer and his sister Louise, who was two years younger than himself, now did about as they pleased, and without thinking very much about it. But his sister chanced to be shrewd or individual enough not to wish to cast herself away on just anyone. Well, good for you, Louise. Here we've got a strong, independent young woman coming up in the world, not willing to trade her freedom for just any fella. Although, you know, maybe maybe her eye will find Clyde and they'll become uh, an item. Who knows? You know, the world is arrayed before him. Can you imagine Clyde and Louise Ratterer going, around, going around the town together, arm in arm? Stopping off at the fancy chop houses like Frizzell's. Getting themselves some mushroom caps and cream spinach and a big glass of buttermilk to boot to go with their T-bones. Two T-bones, Harvey. A couple glasses of buttermilk, some cream spinach and mushroom caps. And make it snappy, why don't you? Me and my gal Louise are going to a show. We're going to see the Follies. See, I mean, look how great it is. Look how great it could be. The interesting part of all of this was that Clyde, in spite of a certain strain of refinement, which caused him to look askance at most of this, was still fascinated by the crude picture of life and liberty which it offered. Among such as these, at least, he could go, do, be, as he had never gone or done or been before. And particularly was he pleased and enlightened or rather dubiously liberated, in connection with his nervousness and uncertainty in regard to his charm or fascination for girls of his own years. For up to this very time, and in spite of his recent first visit to the erotic temple to which Hegland and the others had led him, he was still convinced that he had no skill with or charm where girls were concerned. Their mere proximity or approach was sufficient to cause him to recede mentally, to chill or palpitate nervously, 
and to lose what little natural skill he had for conversation or poised banter such as other youths possessed. But now, in his visit to the home of Ratterer, as he soon discovered, he was to have ample opportunity to test whether this shyness and uncertainty could be overcome. Well, is he going to make time with Louise Ratterer? Hard to say. I do think, though, that it is worth pausing for just a minute before we take our official pause to just note the difference in households between the Griffiths and the Ratterers, the solemn, the cerebral versus the uh, lively and sensual. In which, which kind of household would you rather grow up in? For me, I'd, you know, I, you know, I want to say the sensual kind, but the truth of the matter is I probably wouldn't. <laughs> I mean, or maybe it's just because of the sort of household that I, you know, I grew up in a kind of volatile household. Um, there was no real religious aspect to it, no religious upbringing. And so I grew up in a household a little bit like the Ratterers, although, you know, it, it, it definitely had elements of, uh, of the Griffiths household as well. I mean, my mother was certainly trying to get us to stay on the straight and narrow and do the right thing and all the rest of it. But, uh, I didn't suffer from the same thing that Clyde suffers from when it comes to members of the opposite sex. In fact, I probably suffered more with members of my own sex than members of the opposite sex. I was much more comfortable with girls. Consequently, was always able to have a girlfriend. I'm not trying to brag. It's just a fact of the matter. Didn't have that many male friends, but I definitely, uh, definitely had some attention from the ladies. And for that, I am grateful. All right, let us take a break. When we return, we'll see what's going on with Clyde Griffiths back in a moment here on Obscure. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Back in Obscure, Clyde Griffiths, hanging out at the Ratterer house, maybe about to make time with his kid sister Louise, I don't know. But uh, he's going to have ample opportunity to test whether his shyness and his uncertainty 
could be overcome. Back to the book. For it was a center for the friends of Ratterer and his sister, who were more or less of one mood in regard to life. Dancing, card-playing, love-making, rather open and unashamed, went on there. Indeed, up to this time, Clyde would not have imagined that a parent like Mrs. Ratterer could have been as lackadaisical or indifferent as she was, apparently, to conduct and morals generally. He would not have imagined that any mother would have countenanced the easy camaraderie that existed between the sexes in Mrs. Ratterer's home. And very soon, because of several cordial invitations which were extended to him by Ratterer, he found himself part and parcel of this group, a group which, from one point of view, the ideas held by its members, the rather wretched English they spoke, he looked down upon. From another point of view, the freedom they possessed, the zest with which they managed to contrive social activities and exchanges, he was drawn to them. Because for the first time, these permitted him, if he chose, to have a girl of his own, if only he could summon the courage. And this, owing to the well-meant ministrations of Ratterer and his sister and their friends, he soon sought to accomplish. Indeed, the things began on the occasion oh the thing began on the occasion of his first visit to the Ratterers. Louise Ratterer worked in a dry goods store and often came home a little late for dinner. Well, I just want to uh, I feel like maybe we're getting a little bit of a clue here as to where the sympathies and sentiments of one T. Dreiser lay or lie. I've never been able to keep those two words straight, and I'm not even going to try now. Look, I'm a man in his 50s. If you think I'm going to learn the difference between lay and lie at this late state in my life, this late state in my life, you are mistaken. Simply not going to take the time. I'm not going to make the effort. That being said, I feel like we are getting a little clue as to the sentiments that lie in the heart of T. Dreiser. Here, for the first time, I feel like we are witnessing a scene with which Dreiser wholeheartedly approves. This is the scene at the Ratterer's home, the carnal, the sensual, the card-playing, the love-making, the chatter, the lackadaisical morals, the conduct unbecoming a citizen of this world. There's something rather bohemian about the Ratterer's is there not, and we can't help but feel that Mr. Dreiser is looking upon this scene with a slight twinkle in his eye. Here, at last, I feel like we have found people about which Mr. Dreiser approves. These are real people. Louise Radler worked in a dry goods store and often came home a little late for dinner. On this occasion, she did not appear until seven, and the eating of the family meal was postponed accordingly. In the meantime, two girlfriends of Louise arrived to consult her in connection with something, and finding her dis delayed and Ratterer and Clyde there, they made themselves at home, rather impressed and interested by Clyde in his new finery. For he, at once girl-hungry and girl-shy, held himself nervously aloof, a manifestation which they mistook for a conviction of superiority on his part, and in consequence, arrested by this, they determined to show how really interesting they were, vamp him no less. And he found their crude briskness and effrontery very appealing, so much so 
that he was soon taken by the charms of one, a certain Hortense Briggs, who, like Louise, was nothing more than a crude shop girl in one of the large stores, but pretty and dark and self-appreciative. And yet from the first he realized that she was not a little coarse and vulgar, a very long way removed from the type of girl he had been imagining in his dreams that he would like to have. Well, maybe I need to retract my previous opinion as to Dreiser's view of the Ratterers and the company that they keep, because here he is putting down Hortense Briggs. What has she done? Nothing except show up at the house and he's putting her down. You know, we don't even, we, we haven't, we haven't heard word one from him. And already, what do we, what do we, what do we know about Hortense Briggs? A crude shop girl, a little, not a little coarse, not a little vulgar, very long way removed from the type of girl Clyde had been imagining in his dreams. Just a commoner, just a common chick in common petticoats, which may soon find themselves in a bunch on the floor if she's not careful with herself. And Clyde, you better be careful too. Oh, hasn't she come in yet? Announced Hortense on first being admitted by Radderer and seeing Clyde near one of the front windows looking out. Isn't that too bad? Well, we'll just have to wait a little bit if you don't mind. This last with a switch and a swagger that plainly said, who would mind having us around? And forthwith, she began to primp and admire herself before a mirror which surmounted an ochre-colored mantelpiece that graced a fireless grate in the dining room. And her friend, Greta Miller, added, Oh dear, yes, I hope you won't make us go before she comes. We didn't come to eat. We thought your dinner would be all over by now. Well, who is this reminding you of? Remember the gals that Arabella was hanging around with when she first met Jude Fowley over by the bridge? You know, they were washing uh, washing, uh, washing clothes, I think, and she happened to have a pig dick with her for some reason. She threw it at him and, oh, be quiet, why don't you? And the rest, you know, is, is Jude the Obscure. But that's, that's who Hortense and her friend Greta are reminding me of. Just more Arabella's. Where do you get that stuff? Put you out. Oh, I see. I hope you won't make us go before she comes. Oh, dear. What? He's saying, isn't that too bad? Well, we'll just have to wait a little bit if you don't mind. And then, who says put you out? Hasn't she come in yet? Isn't that too bad? I hope you won't make us go. Where do you get that stuff? Put you out, replied Ratter, Ratterer cynically, as though anybody could drive you two out of here if you didn't want to go. Sit down and play the vitrol or do anything you like. Dinner will soon be ready and Louise will be here any minute. He returned to the dining room to look at a paper which he'd been reading, after pausing to introduce Clyde. And the latter, because of the looks and the airs of these two, felt suddenly as though he'd been cast adrift upon a chartless sea in an open boat. "'Oh, don't say eat to me!' exclaimed Greta Miller, who was surveying Clyde calmly as though she were debating with herself whether he was worthwhile game or not, and deciding that he was. "'With all the ice cream and cake and pie and sandwiches we'll have to eat yet tonight. We was just going to warn Louise not to fill up too much. Kitty Keene's giving a birthday party, you know, Tom, and she'll have a big cake and everything.' You're coming down, ain't you, afterwards? She concluded, with the thought of Clyde and his possible companionship in mind. 
Wasn't thinking of it, calmly observed Ratterer. Me and Clyde was thinking of going to a show after dinner. Oh, how foolish, put in Hortense Briggs, more to attract attention to herself and take it away from Greta than anything else. She was still in front of the mirror, but turned now to cast a fetching smile on all, particularly Clyde, for whom she fancied her friend might be angling. When you could come along and dance, I call that silly. Sure, dancing is all you three ever think of, you and Louise, retorted Ratterer. It's a wonder you don't give yourselves a rest once in a while. I'm on my feet all day, and I like to sit down once in a while. He could be most matter-of-fact at times. Oh, don't say sit down to me, commented Greta Miller, with a lofty smile and a gliding, dancing motion of her left foot. With all the dates we got ahead of us this week, oh gee. Her eyes and eyebrows went up, and she clasped her hands dramatically before her. It's just terrible all the dancing we got to do yet this winter, don't we, Hortense? Thursday night and Friday night, Saturday and Sunday nights. She counted on her fingers most archly. Oh, gee, it is terrible, really. She gave Clyde an appealing, sympathy-seeking smile. Guess where we were the other night, Tom. Louise and Ralph Thorpe and Hortense and Brett Gettler, me and Willie Bassick, out at Peg Rains on Webster Avenue. Oh, and you ought to have seen the crowd out there. Sam Schaefer and Tilly Burns was there, and we danced until four in the morning. I thought my knees would break. I ain't been so tired, and I don't know when. Oh, gee, broke in Hortense, seizing her turn and lifting her arms dramatically. I thought I would never get to work the next morning. I could just barely see the customers moving around. And wasn't my mother fussy? Gee, she hasn't gotten over it yet. She don't mind so much about Saturdays and Sundays, but all these weeknights and when I have to get up the next morning at seven, gee, how she can pick. And I don't blame her either, commented Mrs. Ratterer who was just then entering with a plate of potatoes and some bread. You two will get sick, and Louise too, if you don't get more rest. I keep telling her she won't be able to keep her place or stand if she don't get more sleep. But she don't pay no more attention to me than Tom does, and that's just none at all. Oh, well, you can't expect a fella in line to get in early always, Ma, was all Ratterer had said. And Hortense Briggs added, Gee, I'd die if I had to stay in one night. You gotta have a little fun when you work all day. What an easy household, thought Clyde. How liberal and indifferent, and the sexy, gay way in which these two girls posed about, and their parents thought nothing of it, evidently. If only he could have a girl as pretty as this Hortense Briggs, with her small, sensuous mouth and her bright, hard eyes. To bed twice a week early is all I need, announced Greta Miller archly. My father thinks I'm crazy, but more than that would do me harm. She laughed jestingly, and Clyde, in spite of the we wases and I scenes, was most vividly impressed. Here was youth, and geniality, and freedom, and love of life. Indeed! Indeed, that's what's happening here. We've got young people parading their youth about for all to see and why not is anybody getting hurt no is everybody having a good time yes then by gall go do it and just then the front door opened and in hurried louise ratterer a medium-sized trim vigorous little girl in a red-lined cape and a soft blue felt hat pulled over her eyes unlike her brother she was brisk and vigorous and more lithe and as pretty as either of these others Oh, look who's here, she exclaimed. You you two birds beat me home, didn't you? 
Well, I got stuck tonight on account of some mix-up in my sales book, and I had to go up to the cashier's office. You bet it wasn't my fault, though. They got my writing wrong. Then, noting Clyde for the first time, she announced, I bet I know who this is. Mr. Griffiths. Tom's talked about you a lot. I wondered why he didn't bring you around here before. And Clyde, very much flattered, mumbled that he wished he had. All right, well, let's pause right there, why don't we? We've got an introduction to three bright young things, Greta and Hortense and Louise, and here's Clyde hanging out at the Ratterers, getting his, getting his, uh, his, uh, his, uh, his what, his, his dialogue chops, getting, that, getting to put those into to work for the first time, you know? Here he is hanging out with a, a trio of lovely ladies. And their somewhat uh, crude way of speaking. But the lifestyle they possess. My God, out to all hours. Four in the morning, dancing, cutting the rug, doing the foxtrot, the Charleston, the who knows what. Greta says she only needs two nights a week in. Any more than that would be bad for her. Hortense, we get the impression, doesn't sleep much more than that. And Louise seems to be able to keep pace with the other two. They're just young and they want to go out and have fun, have a good time, drink some soda water, you know, with a splash of lime and maybe a maybe a scotch mixed in there or something. I don't know. You mix scotch and soda water? Sounds right. I don't know. Regardless, these are the folks that Clyde Griffiths has now found himself among. I mean, after a lifetime of penitence and confession and and heads bowed in prayer and supplication. Here he is greeted with razzle-dazzle and neon lights and flappers. Some of them probably have Louise Brooks haircuts, of all things. And they want to include him in their merrymaking. Aren't you going to come out to the party, they say? Well, no, we were going to catch a show. Well, why would you do that? That's silly. We're gonna we're gonna go out. We're gonna have dancing. There's gonna be cake and pie, and we're gonna cut a rug. Why don't you Why don't you join us? Oh shoot! You know I'm on my feet all day. I want to sit down when I get done. And Clyde probably thinking to himself, "Hell yes, I want to go out with these gals." By God, these pretty girls with their sensual mouths and their rough-hewn ways, fella could learn a thing or two from these gals. Couldn't he? Sure he could. Including how to get the clap, Clyde. But I don't think that's going to happen. You know, for as cheeky as these gals are, they don't strike me as the kinds of females who are going to tumble into bed with the first Dick, Joe, or Harry that they meet. No. These are... They may be a little crude, but... They're also street smart. They know how to keep their wits about them. And, uh... You know, that's something else they could teach teach Clyde, who, for all his newfound finery, still a greenhorn in the ways of the world, is he not? Well, we'll leave it there. I'm excited to find out what happens next with Clyde. I'm still missing Hester, also known as Esta. Still waiting for her to return. I don't really miss the parents or the other kids. I'm invested in Clyde, and... I like the Boogie Nights Ascension that he's currently on. 
We'll see where it goes. No place good, we know. I mean, it is called an American tragedy, after all. But that's the thing. Unobscure, we don't want to be reading comedies. We don't want to be reading uh, books that end well for people. Hell no. What's the point of that? What's the point in rejoicing in somebody else's happiness? Not interested in that. I'm interested in rejoicing in somebody else's misery. Fictive misery. Misery, of course. I'm not wishing misery for real on anybody, not even Dane Cook and his child bride. If anything, I wish them happiness, as I said at the outset. That's why I've sent them a, a juicer as a wedding present. I hope they get it, and I hope they love it. Never mind the fact that I wasn't invited to the wedding. They're getting themselves a juicer. All right, we'll leave it there. Pick it up again on another Picayune episode of Obscure. What does Picayune mean? That's a word I've seen a lot. I've never... I don't know what it means. Picayune. Definition. Cranking up the research machine for the first time. Right at the very end of the episode. Picayune. Uh, what is the meaning? Of little value or account. Small. Trifling. Petty. Picayune. Picayune. Now, the origin is was, it was a Spanish coin worth half a real or one-sixteenth of a dollar. So it's, it's, you know, it's a small thing, like small change, like menudo. What does menudo mean? I think it means small change. Let's see. Menudo. There's another Spanish word. I mean, it's a soup, yes, but what, is it, what does it mean? Uh, often. Often. It's a soup. Okay, I got that. But what does it mean? What is it? I guess it's just a spicy soup. All right. Hmm. Don't know why they called the band Menudo. Why it was named for a spicy soup that's made with cow's stomach. Anyway, we'll pick it up again on another Picayune episode of Obscure. But until then, I wish you adieu. This season of Obscure is produced by me, Michael Ian Black, and Robin Lynn. Our theme music is by Craig Wedron. We rely on you, the listeners, for support, so please go to patreon.com slash Black, and you will get early access to ad-free episodes and more content from me. That's patreon.com slash Black. See you next time. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.